Folks, I would at this point of our service ask you to open God's Word again. Open the Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 2. And to that portion of Scripture we've read together, Genesis 2 from verse 18 uh, to the end of the chapter. Genesis 2 from verse 18, really, um, to the end of the chapter. So the topic we now come to as we work our way through the book of Genesis, the topic we come to is the subject, the topic of marriage. Marriage. And I suppose, given all the debate, given all the the fury that, that there is just now about the definition of marriage, It kind of seems like it's an apt thing to be discussing, doesn't it? It seems like this is almost a a peculiarly relevant topic for us to look at um, today. But having said that, what we're not going to do is we're not going to get weighed down by the arguments that surround same-sex marriage today. We'll mention it. I'm sure, and we've mentioned it in the past, and we'll mention it again, but we're not going to get weighed down by that. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this um, very first account of a marriage, and we're going to listen intently to what God has to say to us about our situations and about our marriages whether present or future, the marriages in this congregation. And there's a reason why we've got to pay close attention to this marriage here. It's not just that it's part of Scripture. There's a further reason. Why is this marriage in Genesis 2, why is it so important? Well, this is a marriage in its original state, isn't it? This is before the fall. This is marriage as it should be. This is marriage that's pure. This is marriage before it is a, a tarnished by sin. So this morning, folks, as we look to God's word, let's not just come with an agenda, you know, about same-sex marriage, an agenda about gender. Let's come and let's listen to what God has to say to us. And this morning, let's look at three points together. Three points about this first marriage. And the first of those is this. Point one. The first marriage was a necessary relationship. You got that? The first marriage was a necessary, necessary relationship. Okay, can you remember where we were the last time that we were in Genesis? Do you remember we saw the, 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 the incredible habitat that God had made for man? Do you remember that? We looked at Eden, the, the lush, glorious garden, the vegetation, the rivers, the, the glorious environment that God had made for man. But, look at this. Look where we are now. Look what we're confronted with. We're confronted straight away here 
with a problem. Did you see that in verse 18? There's a problem here. You know, we've had this wonderful picture, this, this picture of paradise. And then it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. And you see, when we read that, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to really just get a smack in the face. That expression there is really supposed to arrest our attention. It's supposed to stop us in our tracks because we're supposed to see that in contrast with everything that's been said in chapter 1. Remember chapter 1? God would make something, and what would he say? He would say that it was good. God created something else, and it was good, or it was very good. Seven times we hear that expression in chapter 1, that it was good. And now what happens? Out of nowhere, something is spoken of as being not good. So why? What's going on here? Why was it why was it not good for Adam to be alone? Well friends, I think um, we're confronted here with a foundational human need, aren't we? You know, in Genesis two we see the foundational human need for companionship. Isn't that what we have here? You know, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It is not good for man to be in solitude, for man to be alone. And this kind of goes back to what we looked at maybe, what would it be, three, four weeks ago, when we looked at the fact that man was created in the image of God. Do you remember that sermon? What did we see? We saw that man was created in the image of a triune God. That we are created in the image of a God who is at his core a relational being. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as to be in and to desire relationships is a fundamental aspect of God, so too to to be in and to desire relationships is also a fundamental, a fundamental foundational element of what it is to be human. It wasn't good for man to be alone. We are made for relationships. So it's into this kind of situation of of, of dire need. It's into a problematic situation that God works here. You know, Adam's alone. So what does God do? God acts, doesn't he? God creates, and again, just as he's done in in Eden, God provides. And he provides this time a companion for man. So I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to ask you a, a, a question just now. Are you a married person just now? This morning, are you 
married? Well, if so, do you think in these terms about your spouse? Do you? Do you see your spouse as the most incredible gift from God for your companionship? Do you see them as a gift? You see, after all of these blessings that God has given Adam, and he has blessed him abundantly, hasn't he? What an environment he's given him. And he's given him a vocation as well. He's given him a job. But after all of that, it is a spouse that is the crown of creation. It is the spouse that is that final piece in the jigsaw. Do you see your spouse in those terms? What a gift. A gift from God. God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So he acts and he provides. But... There is something that's got to be clarified, isn't there? There's almost, you know, an elephant in the room, I think. Um, something that needs to be stressed. Because you see, so often in, in, in situations like this this morning, where in a church we talk about marriage, so often someone who is unmarried or someone who is single they perhaps feel like they are, you know, a, a dejected male shopper. Do you know what I mean? You know the scene, a dejected male shopper? You, know, you go into a, a, the, the women's section of a, of a clothing shop and there's always a couple of chairs sitting somewhere in a corner. And that's where the guys sit, isn't it? You know, that's where the, the husbands of the boyfriends congregate and they look dejected, don't they? And they look, uh, they wait impatiently for their wives. Well, that's sometimes how single people can feel in a church, especially when we talk about marriage. You know, sitting, sitting where everything around them seems almost irrelevant and, and sitting impatiently and awkwardly. Well, let's clear something up before we move on. That God created a spouse for the first man. That does not mean that it is a second-class state to be single. You know, that, 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 that God created a spouse, that there was an, a, a need to be together and companion, uh, to experience companionship. It didn't mean that to be single is any less human than to be married. And surely the obvious example of that is your saviour, isn't it? That's the obvious example of it. No one ever in history has it experience such a rich and a powerful and a, a, a pure experience of what it is to be a human. And Jesus remained unmarried. Jesus was single throughout his time on earth. 
No, that it's not good for man to be alone. It doesn't show us that it's inferior to be single. It shows us that we have a need for companionship. It shows us that we have a need for friendship. And surely, do you not think that there is a, a very clear and obvious application for the life of a congregation such as ours? There is, isn't there? You see, historically, I'm sure you could say that it is the single people in a congregation that have been neglected. I don't mean in this congregation, I mean in the church at large. Very often, it is the single people who are neglected. You know, what do we do in church life? We, we, we cater for the kids, don't we? We have creches. And we have Sunday schools. And then as the children grow up, we cater for them again. We've got youth groups and we've got 20s and 30s groups. And then we make assumptions. We make foolish assumptions. And we shouldn't do that. Well, let's try as a congregation and not make that same mistake. Let's really try and develop friendships in our congregation. And maybe... Maybe particularly, maybe especially, let's try and develop friendships with the single people of the congregation. Let's involve everyone in the life of the church, whether it is someone who's married or someone who is single. Marriage, the first marriage, a necessary relationship. Okay, the second point that we should see from this is that marriage was also a complementary relationship. Marriage was necessary, but a complementary relationship. And for this, let's think of two important elements here, okay? Remember that. There are two important elements about marriage being complementary. Now, um, one of the, the, the biggest hits, one of the biggest movie hits of the last couple of years was the film The Help. Have you seen the film The Help? You may have even read the book. Well, The Help told the story of a group of maids in these big mansion houses, I think, in, in Mississippi in probably, yeah, probably the 1960s. And uh, the title from the film, I think, clearly comes from the, the derogatory attitude that the employers had towards these maids. The maids were just the help. That's all they were. They were just the help. And what we've got in front of us here in Genesis chapter 2, that's been used in a similar way, hasn't it? See, look what woman's called here. Verse 18. She's created for a man. And she's called the suitable helper. A suitable helper. And that's been used uh, down the years for the subjugation of women. They are helpers. So is that 
sort of justif- that sort of attitude, is it justified by the text? Is that what the text is saying? Well, let's see that it's not in our first important element about this contemporary relationship. And that is that woman, get this, woman was created equal to man. Woman was created equal to man. You see, we've got this uh, marvelous and remarkably vivid scene in this section, don't we? I love this scene. It makes me want to burst into Bob Dylan's Man Gave Name to All the Animals, which I will not do just now, I promise. But that's what happens, isn't it? God brings to Adam all the animals, and he brings them to him to be named and to see if there is a suitable companion amongst the animals. But there's a kind of sense of anti-climax about the whole thing, isn't there? Because after all these animals have been brought to Adam, and they've kind of, you can almost imagine them being brought and passing by Adam. After all that happens, it's clear, isn't it? None of them are suitable. None of them are suitable for Adam. Why not? Because they are inferior to him. But then what happens? What happens next? Well, God makes a woman. God makes Eve. And how does, how does Adam react? Well, there's this spontaneous song. Almost. There's the first ever recorded poem. Adam sees his wife. He sees Eve and he says, this is it, or this is a lass, the bone of my bones. Here she is, flesh of my flesh. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what the text is saying? None of the animals were suitable for Adam because they were lesser beings. So God creates Eve. Here is one that is perfect. Here is one that can be a companion. Why? Because woman is made equal to man. Now, I could get myself into trouble saying something like that, you think. So please don't get me wrong. Woman and man are made equal. But we are not exact. And we have different roles. For example, Adam was made first here. And Paul uses that in 1 Timothy for the basis of male headship within the family. And we could use other examples too. But get this, folks. Please hear this. Woman was created from man's rib. She was created from his side. She was created from his very own body. There is no inferiority whatsoever. Woman is made equal to man. So can I say to you, in fact, can I say to you, if you are a husband this morning, ask you, do you treat your spouse as an equal? Do you? 
Do you treat your wife as an equal? You know, do you cherish her? And do you, do you love her? Do you protect everything about her? Do you protect her dignity? Do you protect her as one made in the image of God? Or are you a bully? Are you dismissive of your wife? She's equal. Woman was made equal. <coughs> Let's move on. There's a <coughs> excuse me. There's a second thing that we need to see here about the complementary relationship. <coughs> Woman wasn't just created equal. She was created to correspond to man. Have you got that? She was created to correspond to man. What does that mean? Well, let's go back to that film. Let's go back to that phrase. The idea of the woman being a suitable helper uh, for man. So what does that really mean, that phrase? That a woman's a helper, a suitable helper. Well, it's used, that expression is used elsewhere in Scripture. And is used as a military metaphor. That means, it's, it's used to mean military reinforcements. So what we've got in front of us just now is a picture. Woman is created to strengthen man. Woman is created to come to man and to provide strength where he is at his weakest. She is a reinforcement for man. And in fact, that's the literal translation of what we've got when we, when we have suitable helper. Literally, the phrase is this. It sounds a really strange phrase. Literally, woman is like opposite man. That sounds odd. Like opposite man. But she is like man. She is equal to man. And she is opposite. She corresponds with him. I don't know if anyone's any use at woodwork. Do we have any joiners? Any carpenters in the church today? Well, think of a dovetail joint. That's what we're dealing with. Woman and man fitting perfectly together. Think about a jigsaw. Two pieces of a jigsaw. The two pieces are very, very different, aren't they? But when they come together, they sit perfectly. They fit perfectly together. That's what we've got here. Woman corresponds to man. And I think surely we've got to see how that relates to what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Do you remember that? We talked about same-sex marriage. And that's applicable here, isn't it? You see, what God is doing in Genesis chapter 2 is providing a template for all future marriage. And in this template, what does he say? He says that the spouse must always be like opposite man. Like opposite man. 
marriage here and marriage always in Scripture is a heterosexual union. Marriage is a complementary relationship. Okay, folks. So we've seen that marriage is a necessary relationship. We've seen that it is a complementary relationship. We will end with a third point. And that is that marriage was an intimate relationship. Marriage was an intimate relationship. And again, there's two quick things to look at here. So a moment ago, I mentioned the help. But I'm going to test your memory. I'm going to send you back a wee bit further to a film that was released in 1996. And it was the film Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. I don't know if you've seen that or not. But Jerry Maguire contained one of the cheesiest film lines of all time. And if you've seen it, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So Tom Cruise, he bursts into the room. It's a room full of women. And he starts pouring out his emotions uh, to the female lead. He tries to win Renny Zellweger's heart. And uh, as he does this, she stops him. And she says, don't go on. Not. You had me at hello. What a script. Isn't that marvelous? But one thing that Tom Cruise said before he was so rudely interrupted by Renny Zellweger, he said this line. He looked at her and he said, you complete me. And I know it's cheesy. But we see in Genesis 2 that there is a degree of truth in that. We see that in the the first way. We see this intended intimacy. And it's in the way in which woman was created. There's intimacy in that. You see, we mentioned it a moment ago that woman was created from man's rib. That's, That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? It's an incredible picture. Woman created from man's rib. But it doesn't, it doesn't just mean that she's equal. There's much, much more to it than that. There's a oneness there. Isn't it? There's intimacy there. There's an incredible, a, a glorious and a, a beautiful connection. Because man and woman are made from the same stuff. The very, very same stuff. Neither is fully complete without the other. And there's a famous paragraph written about that. And it's quoted a lot. And you might have heard it before. But I think that it is possibly one of the most beautiful paragraphs ever written. So I'll read you. It says this. Woman was created from man's rib, not from the head to rule over him, not from the foot to be trampled upon him, but from his rib to stand side by side with him, under his arm to be protected 
and near his heart to be loved. What a picture that is. It is a picture of oneness. But the second way in which this intimacy is brought out here is in the language that's used, and specifically one word in verse 24. One word. And it's that word, united. What does it say? It says, man will be united to his wife. United. Now that, friends, is a covenantal word. It's a word about covenant. You see, such is the intimacy that we should have with our spouse. That it should mirror the relationship that the people of God have with our Lord and with our Savior. Now, do you have that? In your marriage relationship, do you have that intimacy? And if not, are you working hard to get it? Are you guarding the time that you spend with your spouse? Are you protecting that time? Are you praying together as husband and wife? Friends, work hard at your marriage. Work hard at the intimacy. And I'm going to end. And I'm going to end with what you're going to think is a really stupid question. You ready for it? We'll end with this. Where in the Bible are we? Where in the Bible are we? We're in Genesis 2. We are immediately before Immediately before sin. So, why here? God is God. He can arrange anything in any way. Why does he choose to implement marriage immediately before well friends the answer is that God knew what was about to happen he knew he is a great God he knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall he knew that sin was going to come into the world so what does he do in marriage he provides this wonderful illustration this perfect living analogy of how we can have relationship with him again through Jesus Christ. You see, he is the bridegroom. And we, the church of Christ, we are the bride. And through the cross, by that wonderful cross, we can be in one flesh with Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It is as if Jesus becomes our spouse. 
And friends, one day, the church of Christ will be presented to him. You know, one day, if you are saved by that cross, then you will meet with the one with whom you have a relationship that can never and will never be broken. And on that day, we will sit. We will take our seat and we will evermore enjoy the wedding feast of the Lamb. So today, I ask you, I urge you to praise God. And I urge you to praise God for marriage. Let's pray.